Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Michael Delgado here with you on the Good Dog Pod. Thanks for coming back. Today, we are talking about dogs and kids. We have a very special guest, Jennifer Shyrock. She is owner and founder of the company Family Paws. She's been helping families with dogs for over 20 years. She's a certified dog behavior consultant. She previously served on the board of directors for the International Childbirth Education Association, and she worked as a special education teacher. So I'd say that really qualifies her to talk about dogs and kids. She's also a mom herself to her human, canine, and feline family members. So her business, Family Paws, offers education and consultations. She trains dog professionals to become Family Paws parent educators, and she supervises a dog and baby support line, which is run by dog training professionals who can listen and triage any concerns that new parents have about their dog's behavior towards their children. So welcome to the Good Dog Pod, Jen. We're really excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, so let's start by just diving right in. There's kind of two possible scenarios where people are introducing dogs and kids, right? So maybe they already oh, yeah. have kids and now they're thinking about getting a dog for the family, or maybe they already have a dog or more than one dog and they're planning to expand their family to have children. So what's the number one thing someone should do in either situation? And maybe touch on like the most common mistakes you see people making when they're going to either add a dog to the family or have a baby and they already have dogs. Great question. And there's so much there on all fronts. Yeah. But one of the things that's consistent is a gradual process. Mm -hmm. So whether it's bringing a dog into the home, a new dog or a new puppy, or it's preparing with our dog for life with baby, we want it to be gradual. And one of the main things for either situation is helping our dogs learn to be comfortable with being separated. Mm. Being able to enjoy their own success station, comfy space, and having their own time, because that's an area that I see a lot of dogs struggling with, especially what we've seen over the last couple of years. I think our dogs are like, hey, my human's really needy lately. (laughs) But it is an important thing. And I think it's important whether a dog is new to the home or a family is expecting it's something that I encourage. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, for dogs who have been the baby of the house and now there's a human baby coming, yeah. it could probably be a pretty big change for some of those dogs. Absolutely. And many dogs struggle with this. This is yeah. one of the main issues that I think families really, they start to feel really guilty. They feel really terrible. If they wait until a baby is about six months of age or eight months when they're crawling and moving, and now they must have <laughs> some separation. If they have not done that before, Now they really have mixed feelings about it because the dog is also very confused. The rules have changed. The access to the trusted adults has changed. And so the dog is unsettled. But if we can practice and make that a gradual introduction, helping our dogs to learn that having that comfy space, success stations, a place that they can be secure, comfortable, enjoy enrichment, then it can be a positive experience for everybody. And would you say people should start this process? You know, I've certainly gotten calls from people that are like, oh, I'm having a baby next week. Can you help with X, Y, or Z, you know, with my pet? So I assume you kind of get some of those calls too, right? Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) And I hope that 
it's always my goal that we can decrease those calls. We love it when someone contacts us either before they're having a baby or even before they're thinking of having a baby. What can we do? Or even second trimester. But if we do have someone who reaches out and they're, you know, due next week, we can certainly help them too. I think you have to be creative when it comes to management and different options, play yards, using leashes inside, different things. There's so many different options. And so everybody should feel comfortable reaching out for support. Great. Now, talking about dogs and kids, one thing that comes up a lot is, should the kids be left alone with the dog? So imagine maybe you already have children of varying ages and you're getting a dog. And in some cases, maybe there's this idea that the kids are going to be responsible for the dog or feeding the dog and taking care of the dog. But when I was doing a little deep dive into your company and your work, you talk a lot about this concept of five types of supervision. And I thought it was really cool. It was clear and helpful. So I thought it would be great to talk about each of those types of supervision and when parents use them, which ones are applicable when. So the first one is like absent supervision. So what does that mean? And should anybody ever use it if they have dogs and kids? Absolutely. And I'm just going to say I have four children and actually the five types of supervision was developed as a communication system with my husband and I Oh, nice! to really identify because he had a different perspective of supervision than I did. Hmm. And it's really common for people to have different comfort levels. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to be very clear with what it meant to me. So that's really how that came to be. Absence supervision is just that. It is the absence of someone paying attention, eyes on the child, maybe someone leaving the room. Or if you want to think about it out at the park where a parent has a dog on a leash and children are petting the dog and the parents may be talking to other people and not noticing how the dog is handling that, if the dog's comfortable or not comfortable, if the children are comfortable or not comfortable, that's absent supervision as well. So it's the absence of that attention, awareness of what's going on, or the presence of an adult, awake adult. Yeah, awake is important. It's very concerning, actually. That's when mistakes happen. Mm. Seriously, when there is access with a dog, sometimes when parents are sleeping, accidents happen. That's why we specifically put awake adult supervision, because unfortunately, things do happen. Yeah. Okay. And then there's passive supervision. I think we can all think about maybe what that means. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. Passive supervision is really dangerous. It's one of those things that we're all doing. So the moment you pick up your phone and say, oh, as a parent with little children, I mean, kids are great, but (laughs) we need other enrichment as adults. So we're constantly looking at our phone and things. And that was my example with my husband. He was on the laptop while my daughter was crawling around and my dog was on the other side of the room. So that would be an example of passive supervision. Okay. And what are some of the dangers of that situation? Just like you don't have the time to respond or... Absolutely. So passive supervision then leads to what we call reactive supervision, where all of a sudden your baby's gone from one side of the room to the other side of the room in a split second, and your dog is now uncomfortable. So now your dog's in a position of having to either get up and move, which for senior dogs could be uncomfortable. Maybe your dog is just hanging out and doesn't really want to move. Maybe it's a resource. Maybe it's a place they might guard. There's a lot of different reasons to that. But we don't want our child to sneak up on the dog or approach the dog. And so that leads to the reactive supervision where we usually get a parent who's going, no, 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 no. And now the dog is also potentially making association with 
baby coming close equals mm -hmm. mom really flips out. Yep. <laughs> so we want to be careful about those associations and we want to do everything we can to prevent that, which is why we look towards and really encourage proactive supervision. Proactive supervision is where we are going to set things in place. We're going to have our crates, gates, our barriers, play yards, X pens, possibly locks on doors to be sure that older children aren't going in and seeing the baby and letting the dog in while mom's in the shower, you know, all these things, locks out of reach of a child if a baby's in the nursery, things like that. So we want to be proactive and think, what can we do to set everybody up for the safest and successful situation? Great. Which leads us to the pinnacle, right? Which is active, active. supervision. <laughs> active supervision is really when parents aren't engaged. I always say a dog and baby on the scene, a parent in between. And it's so important that we have that because we do want that barrier. Things happen quickly, especially with really young children, kids under age two, or look at five, six months where they're grabbing. And that is part of what they do. Sure. They grab and pull things to their mouth. They do all these things. True story. My daughter tried to do that when my shepherd walked by one time when she was in a piece of equipment, exercaucer, and she grabbed and tried to pull my shepherd to her. And that's natural baby. Those are milestones. Those are yeah. things that kids do. So we have to be proactive and think through and prevent those situations by using management. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think as we increasingly perhaps recognize our dogs as family members, I think there might be a tendency to kind of trust them to be somehow right. human in their ability to discern like what's safe and what's a threat to them and maybe give them a little too much responsibility for the situation at hand. You are so right. And this actually, it's not fair and it's not yeah. appropriate. Our dogs are dogs. They are very good at being dogs. They communicate as dogs. And when they're uncomfortable, regardless, if I'm having a bad day and someone pushes my limits, I might snap, I might yell, I'm going to get pushed over threshold. We cannot expect anything different from our dogs. The difference is dogs communicate with their body language, their natural communication systems. And no matter how good we know and recognize our dog, we need to continue learning how our dog uses their body language to communicate in subtle ways with us. Yeah. And I also just have to say, I love that you touched upon that you and your husband needed a common language Absolutely. to discuss this, because I can imagine in a lot of families, there is disagreement on what's going on or how to respond. So I think that's a really nice tool where people can just kind of agree on the definitions and then negotiate like what type of supervision is appropriate. Absolutely. When. Yeah. Yeah. There's nice. a lot of discrepancies there and a lot of previous experience from families of origin as to what the expectations are between children yeah. and dogs. Yeah. And that can lead to a lot of parental conflict and discomfort. And so having that decided together is super important. Nice. Now you touched on this when we were talking about the first question, you mentioned what you called a success station. What does that mean? What is that? So I always started these silly things in my private practice and using these words because I felt like it helped. And success station was one of the ones that I came up with because many times people feel guilty or don't like to use a crate or don't like to use a gate or a play yard or X pen. And Really, the way I identified it as this is a place that we're going to help your dog be nothing but successful. 
So they're going to have a positive experience here. This is going to be their safe place. This is going to be their safe haven. I like to name, like I have a Cavalier who has a Cavalier castle and a shepherd chateau, (laughs) you know, so let's make it fun. I think when people think of it as a cage or as a crate, it does feel icky to people. And so having it be a fun place, I have to tell you, many dogs are very thankful for their success station because they know what to do and what's expected and they can be successful and they're off duty. And for certain breeds, a lot of breeds who just can't stop, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like my shepherds, they're like, oh, thank God, I know what to do here. Cool, I'm off duty. It is really important. Great. You are listening to The Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back with more from Jen Shyrock. Your Litter A to Z is the leading science-based course for dog breeders. It includes expertly designed 18 modules, checklists, and reports that cover before breeding, getting your bitch pregnant, whelping your litter, and raising your pups. This course usually costs $479, but you can access it for free when you join Good Dog. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. We are back with Jen Shyrock from Family Paws, and we are talking about dogs and kids. So let's talk about dog body language. How can people learn to better read their dogs? And I suppose it's really important for kids to understand how to read their dog's body language too. So how do people get to that point? Yeah, it's really important that we pay attention and watch what our dogs are doing and pay attention to what's going on around them. So I like to think of it as... I've always talked about it and explained it to adults and children that dogs communicate with their body and we can be doggy detectives. So you don't solve a case with just one clue. We're going to use multiple clues. So the clues that our dogs offer us are ears, eyes, tail, and muzzle. How are they leaning forward or back? What's going on with the dog and looking at the context of what's going on. And getting in the habit of looking at everything, it's not just what the tail is doing, but it's also looking at from the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail, looking at the whole dog. And so my daughter and I started this, I don't know, way back in 2007, ears, eyes, tail, muzzle, gather the clues to solve the puzzle. And it's true. And if you get in the habit of looking at the ears, eyes, tail, muzzle, and looking at that, you quickly can scan the dog. And start to learn the patterns of how your dog is responding in different contexts, different situations. Super helpful when there are children on the scene. Because one of the biggest problems we have with supervision is that supervision is only as good as your skills to observe your dog. And so there's plenty of people who think, you know, it's great. I'm taking a picture of this really cute thing. And I'm cringing thinking, all right, that kid's sitting on the dog. Not such a good thing. Yeah. So it's, again, we have to look at, is this good for the dog? Is the dog comfortable looking and getting familiar with our dog's baseline, how they show their body language, and then in times of stress and different things so that we truly can have aware supervision, dog aware supervision. And so building our dog aware skills is something everybody can do. No matter how dog savvy you are, there's always more to learn, which I think is super cool and exciting. I never stop learning about my dogs because another phrase I have is babies grow, dogs age. And we have to adjust at every stage because when your dog is aging, they're going to be experiencing the world in a different way, whether their sensory is a little 
not as sharp or sharper or whatever. I know at 54, my tolerance of things is much lower in some ways than it was when my kids were much younger. Right. So we have to allow that for our dogs too. And the only way you know is through observation and learning and being familiar with how your dog communicates with their subtle communication skills. Yeah. And I noticed on your website, you have some fantastic coloring pages for kids to learn about dog body language. And I think you've worked with Lily Chin, the artist. Yes. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she's got some great resources out there as well on dog body language. Yeah. All of our handouts are Lily Chin's. The doggy body language, the coloring sheets are actually done by Bethany Cunningham, but all of our handouts, we're really proud to have Lily Chin as our main illustrator. It's awesome. She's fantastic. She is. Now you are the queen of catchphrases. I've already picked that up from our conversation. (laughs) And one of them that I liked when I was checking out your work was invites decrease bites. Yes. So yeah, what does that mean? So one of the common patterns that we see is when a child approaches a dog and a dog is uncomfortable and then reacts in that way. And so I started saying invites decrease bites. I used to say invites prevent bites, but we can't really necessarily prevent. I prefer to say decrease the chances. And so really having children not approach the dog is critical. Unfortunately, a lot of families, as you were saying, they are very comfortable with their dog. And so they bring home their baby, homecoming goes well, the first three months seem to breeze by, and now we move into mobility and things get a little wonky for the dog. And it's very surprising to people when their dog gets uncomfortable when their child crawls towards them. We really discourage people allowing their children to approach dogs. So we always say invites decrease bites, inviting that dog over. So the dog also has a choice to opt out. If they're not looking to come over, that's fine. And teaching children to say, okay, thank you. And allowing the dog to opt out and walk away and shake off and not approach is also completely acceptable and super important to begin modeling at an early age. Great. And this is a good lead into the next question, which is really about your consulting services that you offer for families. And how does that work? And do you work like with the children ever? You always like require that everybody in the family's there. And when does someone know if they need a dog baby consultant? Like when should they be calling for help? Oh, such good question. So there's a lot of different variations of how I work with people. So it depends is very true here. So depending on the circumstance for each individual is what I do. I do a lot of remote consults. In fact, all of mine are remote consults and have for many years, actually. A lot of it is setting expectations and really increasing awareness for the parents about what's going on. Because I work so much with babies and toddlers, usually they are not participating in the online session, but we have other ways of including them with exercises when it's not a stressed time for safety reasons. We're really, really big on safety. So we don't want to emphasize anxiety or stress for anybody. But we also do provide for expecting families who just are curious about learning more, our Dogs and Storks webinar and our Dogs and Toddlers webinar. So that's a really good touch point for people to like watch one of those. And if Mm -hmm. they need more or feel they need more, then they can reach out and we're happy to find the right support for them moving forward. Great, great. What advice would you give to dog breeders who are trying to prepare their puppies for great homes, but they're getting inquiries from people with kids. I know that sometimes 
breeders don't know if it's going to be a good fit. So how can they prepare the puppies and what should they be asking their buyers as far as integrating dogs with kids? You know, really understanding what the expectations are of their children in that relationship with the dog. You know, if there's a child who absolutely wants that dog, sometimes that child's need is going to be too strong for that puppy or that temperament. I think really taking it slow, gradual, preparing with the children. I love this. I got contacted by actually a breeder referred a family to me way before they were bringing their puppy home. And we did so many exercises ahead of time to help prepare the child by doing some role play, practicing quiet time in the crate with a stuffed dog and really role-playing with the child, like what to do so that it was already common. You know, the dog got downtime and nap time and we set that up and different things. It was great. So I love that ahead of time is doing some role play with stuffed dogs to prepare everybody for expectations, talking about family rules and guidelines and expectations. I think it's super important to be on the same page there and really supporting our families that way because they don't necessarily know what they're getting into. Sure. Trust me. (laughs) I I brought puppies home too. And I was like, oh, we have a newborn in the house again. I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) Yeah. And that's really normal, I think, to feel like that in the first couple of days. And people do need support to say, take it slow and gradual. Your puppy needs it as much as you do. And remembering puppies need naps and rest and they need that quiet time away from the children. (laughs) They really do for their health and sanity as well. But exposure, you know, socialization, raising them in the household and exposing them to all the different things in a positive way. Great, great. I mean, I love the possibility that your services could expand a breeder's pool of eligible buyers by, you know, making sure that they're prepared and their family's prepared for a puppy. So that's great. Okay. Did you have dogs as a kid? Absolutely. I did. I grew up with usually about six dogs in the house, Goldens and Cavaliers. I showed dogs, I showed Cavaliers and I showed and trained neighborhood dogs. So I showed in confirmation and obedience. Yeah. I showed Cavaliers before they were AKC and in the seventies and eighties. Nice. So you know the experience of being a child growing up with dogs too. I mean, I think we would be wrong to not touch on that kind of importance for a lot of children growing up with animals as companions and how it impacts the rest of your life. It does. And for many children, especially with a little disconnect, especially with today's world and more technology and things, having a buddy consistently is so important. It's so valuable. My youngest is 12 and a half and I can't express how important it is, but that it saved my life having my dogs in my life as a kid, for sure. And if you could be any dog breed, which would you choose? I don't know. You know, I thought (laughs) about this and I thought, you know, I love the mischiefness of a Husky. I'm envious of my Husky and I love our Huskies. Don't want to be a shepherd, although they're my passion, but I've learned a lot. Goldens, there's a part of me that loves to be that happy-go-lucky kind of, you know, I wish I could be that loosey-goosey and cavalier. So, you know, I don't know. A mix of all that? That would be a crazy mix, wouldn't it? (laughs) I love the running and the freedom of a husky and their naughtiness. I love it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. (laughs) So where can people find you and your services online? What's the best way to reach out if someone needs help? 
They can visit me at familypause.com. They can also follow us and please do on Instagram at Family Pause Official and Facebook Family Pause Parent Education. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Okay, everybody check out Family Pause on all the socials. Jen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank it was really you. an honor to interview you. I think this is such an amazing program. Obviously, definitely needed for so many people. And I'm really glad that you're out there helping families. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Good Dog Pod. We will be back next week with a very special conversation. So we hope to see you there.